Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Fasten to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Those of us who belong to the body of Christ, at some point in time, we made the decision to become followers of the Lord. And thus, in our obedience to the gospel, the desire, the intended goal, is to grow stronger in our faith, to become more and more Christ-like in our daily lives. And yet, sometimes we fail to grow, sometimes we're not what we ought to be, sometimes our faith is not as strong as it should be. And so again, the question, how deep is your faith? As we think about this question, there are three things that I would call your attention to based on this great parable set forth by Jesus many, many years ago. Sometimes we talk about Jesus as the master teacher. And no doubt Jesus was the greatest teacher to have ever lived. Jesus oftentimes employed a series of parables to convey divine truths. And so such is the case here when he uses the parable of the soils. And in using this parable, he talks about how the seed of the kingdom is the word of God. The seed, of course, is deposited into the ground and ultimately yields fruit, brings forth crops. Spiritually speaking, the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, is deposited into the human heart, and the goal is to bring forth fruit. So having said that, look, if you would, at verses 20 through 22. The first thing that I want to call your attention to is the fact that tribulation can take a toil on our faith. When we talk about tribulation, of course, we're talking about difficulties. And there are a couple of things that I would share with you along these lines. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 20. Jesus said, he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Let's think for a moment about tribulation and how it can take a toil on our faith, the difficulties of life. The first thing I would suggest is that we consider the probability of problems. When we talk about the probability of problems, really what we're saying is this. If you live long enough, you're going to experience some problems here on earth. It would be unusual to get through this life unscathed by human problems. Problems come in any number of shapes and forms. Job said in Job 14 verse 1, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. As I said a moment ago, if you live long enough, I can assure you you're going to face some kind of problem here on planet earth. What about some of the problems that we face in this life? Well, there are any number of difficulties that come our way on a daily basis. First of all, we think about health-related problems. There are people, young and old, that have a wide variety of health problems. Sometimes those problems are debilitating. 
Sometimes they are what we would call minor nuances, but nonetheless they are problems and they affect the human body. And sometimes our health problems are not just physical, but also mental in nature. And so, as I said a moment ago, problems come. And there are really individuals in our world, there are, there are any number of individuals that are in the midst of problems. There are some people that are coming through problems and there are some people that are getting ready to go into problems. Problems are a part of life. And so we think about health-related problems. And then there are other problems that we would say have to do with our relationships, interpersonal problems, if you please. Look at how many people from a social perspective face difficulties on a daily basis. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have problems getting along with their fellow man. It is a common reality. As a matter of fact, there are some individuals that have literally driven wedges in personal relationships. Well, I said a moment ago that tribulations can take a toil on our faith. They take a toll on our, on our faith, and they do. But then what about career, professional problems? Is it not the case that some individuals in our world today have difficulties on the job? Look at all the Look at all the people in our world today that have lost their jobs. Is it not the case that we are facing uncertainty, economically speaking? And by the way, that is another problem that we have, economic problems. There are individuals that have lost their financial base, their financial resources. I think about the current, the current climate in our country today. There are a lot of people that for whatever reason, lost everything that they had. I was reading a story this past week about an individual. This particular individual, very wealthy man, very well-known man in, in economic circles. He said he woke up one day and he lost over $500 million dollars. It's a lot of money to lose. Well, those are just some of the problems that we face in this life. But I want you to think with me in the second place about how some possibilities arise out of our problems. Problems are a reality. Tribulation, the, the troubles of life, they are common to all of us. Well, what about the possibilities? There are two ways that you and I can handle problems in this life. Number one, we can allow the problems, the trials, the tribulations of this life to either deepen our faith or destroy our faith. Bear in mind, the choice is ours. Let's talk for a moment about the possibility of allowing the tribulations and the trials of life to deepen our faith. Let me give you an example of somebody who I believe faced a siege of problems in life. His name was Job. Many of you are familiar with Job. Read sometime that great book. Job was a man unlike any other that I've, well, just, I've never known a person like Job in my lifetime. But when I read about this great patriarch from the past, I see a man besieged by problems. Look at chapter one. Here was a man who feared God. He was upright. He sought to do what was right. 
Satan accused God of building a hedge around him. And basically the premise was, you remove that hedge, let life tumble in, and what will he do? He'll curse you to your face. Well, that wasn't the case. Job lost 10 children, seven sons and three daughters. He lost many of his flocks, his servants. In chapter two, we find he lost his health. His own wife said, curse God and die. But in chapter 13, verse 15, and you can read the book and you'll find that Job had any number of questions as to why these difficulties were, were confronting him in this life. He had three friends that tried to analyze his situation and they came up with some false conclusions as to why he was experiencing these difficulties in life. But the bottom line is, in Job 13, verse 15, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We may not have an answer for everything that we face in this life. And sometimes we may have the idea that, that God has it out for us. I promise you, I assure you, that is not the case. Job had a lot of questions. And Job had questions for God, but let me tell you what. Job did not have the wisdom to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with God. And so ultimately, what, what was it that got Job through his crisis, his faith. He had the kind of faith that would not be moved. Another example would be the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we read about Paul's thorn in the flesh. You remember he prayed to the Lord three times? The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. What do you think? the Lord was saying to Paul, I think all he was saying is, look, this thorn in the flesh can deepen your faith in me. So the problems of life, one of the possibilities is when we face these things, it can be used to deepen our faith. Another possibility, it can literally destroy our faith. Look again at what Jesus said in Matthew 13. Jesus talks about how tribulation can arise and what happens? He says, here is an individual who stumbles. He or she falls. And the bottom line is, their faith is not what it ought to be. It's not deep enough. Listen, if you do not have a deep faith, when you, when you are confronted with the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties of this life, I can promise you, you will not stand. The devil is gonna do everything within his power to circumvent your faith, to destroy your faith. If he can use trials, if he can use tribulations, whether it be illness, disease, the loss of a loved one, it doesn't matter to him. What he wants to do is destroy your faith, turn you upside down. He wants to turn you against God. And that happens from time, from time to time. Let me give you a second thing that we see in our text is we ask the question, how deep is your faith? This has to do with the idea that persecution can put pressure on your faith. One of the things that stands out to me when I read the New Testament is how Satan oftentimes hurled what I would call persecuting darts at the people of God they faced a lot of difficulties because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
Jesus said, when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. Let's talk for a minute about some facts as they relate to persecution. If you and I are the kind of people that we ought to be, we're not going to be exempted from persecutions. As a matter of fact, when Jesus gave what is commonly referred to as one of the greatest sermons to have ever been preached in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon, the sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the idea is here are people that are persecuted for their faith in the Lord. They're persecuted for what? For righteousness' sake. Now listen, if you would, to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul said, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What Paul is saying here is this. If you and I have the kind of faith that we ought to have, the probability is high that we're going to face some form of persecution. We're going to talk just a moment, in just a moment about some of the forms of persecution. Persecution is a reality for the people of God. Go back and look at the early church. You ever thought about how the church of Christ was born in a cradle of persecution? In chapter 7, we read about the death of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr. He was stoned. The Bible tells us that the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a man by the name of Saul. In chapter 8, this same Saul of Tarsus made havoc of the church. Here was a man that was a one-man wrecking crew. He was doing everything within his power to destroy those who belonged to the body of Christ. In chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says that a great persecution swept the early church and God's people were scattered abroad. And those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Over in Acts chapter 12, the Bible tells us that James, the brother of John, was put to death with the sword by Herod the king. Over and over again, we read about saints who suffered for their faith. It was said of Paul and Barnabas that they risked their lives for the cause of Christ. I take that to mean here were individuals that, that were willing to place themselves in harm's way for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said that sometimes persecution can cause people to lose their faith. Well, what about the forms of persecution? Are there some forms whereby you and I are persecuted today? Let me give you two forms of persecution. Number one, there is what would be called verbal persecution. Sometimes we are taunted for our faith, are we not? You ever had somebody make fun of you because you are a follower of the Lord? Have you ever had somebody ridicule you or mock you because you claim to be a child of God? Have you ever had someone use impolite terms to describe you as a child of God? Well, for the most part, I suspect that many of us have. If you look at Acts chapter 16 and 17, again, you read about some of the disciples of the Lord. In Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul and Silas. When they were in the city of Philippi, the charge was made that these men are troubling our city. What were they doing? They were preaching the gospel. 
They were trying to benefit fallen humanity with the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 17, when, when they went over to the city of Thessalonica, the Bible tells us they spent some three Sabbaths there reasoning with those people out of the scriptures. They talked about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What was the charge there? These men that have turned the world upside down, they've come here too. What did they do to Paul and Silas? They ran them out of town. How did they do that? They stirred people up using words. Verbally, they assaulted these people. And sometimes verbal taunts can be worse than physical injuries. So there are verbal forms of persecution and then there are physical forms of persecution. I'm very grateful to God that you and I live in a country that allows us religious freedom. That we have the opportunity to come together on the first day of the week. We don't have to go underground like some of the people did in the first century. We don't have to worry about being threatened by military forces because we believe in the Lord, because we want to worship God on the first day of the week. Go back and look at the first century saints. In Acts chapter 5, we read about the apostles who were beaten because of their faith in the Lord, because the charge, they were preaching the resurrected Jesus. In Acts 16, the passage I alluded to a moment ago, again, we read about Paul and Silas. They're in the city of Philippi, and the Bible says they laid many stripes on their backs. I mean, here were some guys that suffered for the cause of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul recounts the adversities that he faced for the Lord, on behalf of the Lord. He said he had 195 stripes laid on his back. He said three times he was beaten with rods. One time he said he was stoned. You can read about the exploits of the Apostle Paul and some of the other first century saints, but here's the point. If you and I belong to the body of Christ, we need to expect some form of persecution. Now again, the question is, how deep is your faith? If your faith is not what it ought to be, if your faith is not deep, persecution can ultimately destroy you. But then there is a third thing I believe that Jesus identifies here in our lesson text in verse 22. This has to do with, with the idea that temptation can test our faith. What about temptation? We talk about the devices of Satan, the fact that he is seeking to deceive us. And there are any number of devices that Satan uses to circumvent our faith. I guess the first question, who are the subjects of temptation? If you and I were to ask the question, who does Satan tempt? What would you say? Here's, here's my response. Satan is no respecter of people when it comes to temptation. Go back and look at the scriptures. First of all, one of the things that you have to, you have to appreciate is the young are tempted. Look at all the young people that we have today. I, I think back to when I was a teenager. There are a lot of things going on when I was a teenager. A lot of temptations out there. And sometimes individuals who are young can become swayed by the various temptations of life. When you look at Joseph back in Genesis chapter 39, you'll find that Joseph 
was tempted by Potiphar's wife. She sought to seduce him. Joseph could have very easily caved in and compromised his convictions. You and I know that he stood tall. He said no. But look at our young people today. Look at all of the forms of temptation that they face. Everything from drugs and alcohol. Alcohol is a drug. Premarital sexual relations. Dishonesty, cheating. Stealing. I mean, there are so many forms of temptation that our young people face. And so we have to understand temptation is coming. And the devil's going to do everything within his power to tempt us. Now, here's, here's the beauty. Yes, the young are tempted, but look at Joseph. Joseph did not give in to temptation. And then I think about the strong are tempted. Just because you are strong physically does not mean you're not going to be tempted. And I would say just because you are strong spiritually does not mean you're not going to be tempted. The devil uses any number of ways to tempt, to destroy our faith. Let me give you an example of somebody who was strong. Samson. You can read about Samson in the book of Judges. Samson was renowned for his strength. He was a Nazarene. And... We can read of his exploits in the book of Judges and how he lost his strength. He yielded, didn't he? What about people who are strong spiritually? Sometimes individuals, because they are strong spiritually, sometimes elders, preachers, deacons, other, other members of the body of Christ, they have the idea because of their spiritual strength, they will never fall. Well, here's what Paul said, if any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. We have to understand that it's very easy to succumb to temptation. And then the rich and the powerful. Just because somebody is rich or powerful, just because somebody has a lot of prestige does not mean he or she is not going to be tempted. Look at David. David was a man after God's own heart. We talk about somebody who is spiritually strong. David, no doubt, was a man unlike any other. And yet, what did David do? He succumbed to temptation, didn't he? We read about his adulterous union with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. The point is this. I don't care who you are, rich, poor, black, white, educated, uneducated, it does not matter. Temptation is coming. The question is, are you going to stand tall? Are you going to be what you ought to be when temptation comes? So, who are the subjects of temptation? Well, all of us are. We're all open prey to temptation. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan, Satan is after all of us. But then here's another question. How does, how does Satan subvert people, that is, subvert their faith through temptation? Well, Jesus here identifies a couple of ways. Look at him. Look at what he says in verse 22. He said, He who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world. The cares of this world can destroy our faith. Now, it's not a sin to be tempted. 
It is a sin to give in to temptation. Let, let me illustrate it like this. All of us have certain responsibilities in this life. All of us have certain things that we are concerned about. There are things that we do on a daily basis. There are, there are routines that we go through every day. There are things that we like to do. There are some things that we dislike, but nonetheless, all of us have roles and responsibilities in this life. But it is possible that we get so consumed with the quote unquote cares of the world, the cares of this life, that we forget about our relationship to God. Sometimes what we, what we end up doing is giving God a very small portion of our life. In other words, rather than giving him the entirety of, of our soul, we give him a portion of our soul. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Think about your job for a moment. Is it not the case that on the job you have certain responsibilities that have to be taken care of on a daily basis? I think sometimes we get the impression that, that our jobs, our other outside interests take precedence over the kingdom of God. And so then when it comes to the work of the church, well, when we get around to the work of the church, then we'll get, we'll get around to it. The idea is there are other things more pressing than the kingdom of God. And the problem is the cares of this world, the cares of this life are crowding out our faith in God. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You are either in Christianity 110% or you're not. You're either involved in the work or you're not. You're either seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or you're not. When we talk about seeking first the kingdom of God, that word first means before anything else. Let me just pause here and ask this question. We, we've, asked among, we've asked several occasions, how deep is your faith? Is the kingdom most important in your life? Are you seeking it first? Is it first? Or is it secondary? Well, Jesus said the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Nothing wrong with money or materialism for that matter. What is wrong is allowing money and materialism to become our God to become so fixated on making money and, and acquiring material gadgets that we lose sight of what's really important in life. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. All he's saying there is, is this. Money can create problems with your faith. There are a lot of people that have literally given up their faith in the Lord because of a dollar bill. And Paul is saying, don't let that happen to you. I do not know what's going on in your life. I know what is going on in some people's lives, but not everybody. I don't know where you stand spiritually. But I think all of us at some point in time have to ask the question, how deep is our faith? If our faith is not what it ought to be, if, if we don't have deep roots, and if we're not constantly cultivating 
that spiritual garden, so to speak, and keeping it clean and free from debris, we'll lose the battle. The Lord wants, he wants you to be faithful. He wants you to live for him day in and day out. In closing, could I encourage you, if you belong to the body of Christ, put the Lord first. Make him number one in your life. Don't don't put him second or third or fourth or whatever the case may be. Make him first. If you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, if your faith is not deep, if it's not got deep roots, then make changes. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in 1 John 1, 9. It may be that you're here today, you've never obeyed the gospel. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've never acted on that faith. Why not come today? Not just believing that Jesus is the Son of God, but willingly turn away from a life of sin, as Jesus said in Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. You believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and then be immersed in water so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. When you do that, the Lord will add you to the church. You'll be numbered among the redeemed. And the promise is the crown of life if you stay faithful. James 1.12. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Listen to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.